The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. When I found out I was going to be a parent, I immediately felt a lot of anxiety and worry. So I went on to BetterHelp to try to look for a therapist to help me with that. My relationship with my family and with my boyfriend and with myself were suffering. I really needed help. I was ruminating a lot. Really getting those thoughts out to a therapist and getting feedback was just life-changing. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's betterhelp.com. Tyreek, we're going to turn the pick in here, and you're going to be a Raider. So we just wanted to congratulate you. Uh, you're really going to help our football team. We're looking forward to uh, integrating you here with our group and couldn't be more excited to, uh, to make you a Raider here, bud. Welcome to Raider Nation, big boy. We're excited, man. You know, smart, tough, dependable, guys that love football. We're going to get you better. And, um, you know, keep growing you, and, and um, it's going to be a special thing for you. We're really excited for you and your family. Enjoy this moment uh, with everybody. You'll see it coming across the screen. We'll see you here uh, sooner than later. That's the moment Tyree Wilson became a Raider with pick number seven just eight days ago. Were you in the draft room as that was happening? Were you out there for all that? Witnessing that? I was in the draft room. I was in the draft room. And uh, I was hidden. So I wouldn't be seen. When I go to these draft rooms, I definitely don't want to be anywhere near the camera. I just want to witness and see everything. So uh, I just stood in an area where I could see everything happen. And it was fun. The difference with this draft room, though, Mike, that was I've been in nine of them. And the one difference about this one is I could walk around the room. They didn't care really what I was doing. I walked over to Mark Davis for 20 minutes and talked to him at one point. And and it was a very kind of it was a more free experience than just shutting up and sitting in the corner. So that was that was a little bit cool because as things are going on, you can ask why certain things are happening. But I'll tell you my overriding feeling about being in this draft room, and that is the NFL draft is the ultimate capricious event. And what I mean by that is that it is absolutely unpredictable. And when the Ravens started out, I was there at noon 
sitting with Josh McDaniels, the coach, Dave Ziegler, the GM, in Ziegler's office, and they were talking. And I'm telling you, they had no idea what was going to unfold. And they could have easily, easily ended up with Paris Johnson or Devin Witherspoon. I think they felt like somebody was going to take uh, Will Anderson above them. But they, were, they easily could have ended up with Paris Johnson or Devin Witherspoon as well as Tyree Jackson. And I'm telling you, no, no BS. They would have been happy with any of the three. And, you know, and even I wonder, because they wouldn't say, the players were really on the same level on their draft board. Uh, the, those four guys, they weren't going to take a quarterback uh, unless Bryce Young slipped to number seven. So they were not going to take a quarterback, but those four players were basically even on their draft board. They would have taken one of them, obviously, if they were all there, and I don't know which one, but I think it was really interesting that the fate of the Las Vegas Raiders was decided by the six teams in front of them because honestly they just they're sitting there at at noon that day pacific time really having no idea what was going to happen and this was the classic of all the drafts i've covered this one had the greatest mystery at the top after bryce young you really really didn't know very important question what kind of food do they serve at the Las Vegas Raiders draft room. I didn't eat food. You know what I did, Mike? I stopped at the In-N-Out Burger before I went there. And so, you know, you have a, you have a double-double and, and fries, and you're not going to be very hungry through the night. So I didn't. But they had a little food station, and I saw it. It was a wide variety. I think there was some some Mexican food and, you know, some chicken and stuff like that. But... I just walked by it because I knew I wasn't going to eat it. So I just sat in there and tried to be, for the most part, a bump on the wall. Mike, there's one other thing that I thought was really interesting, okay? And that is the discussions that teams have about trades, okay? And there was a board in this room on the back wall of the room a, that you can put a projection on of when a team calls and makes you an offer, the trade offer goes up there, and then you think of counter offers to make. And there was one that I wrote about in my column that was like really interesting because remember, the Arizona Cardinals traded from three to 12, and they were sitting there at number 12, and everybody thought that they wanted to come back up and get Paris Johnson. So they talked to the Raiders, but look, Monty Ossinfort knew, knew the Cardinals general manager that the Raiders also wanted Paris Johnson. So he also knew that he needed to get in front uh, of the Raiders. So then he talked to the Detroit Lions at number six. And so I think what ended up happening, he talked to the Raiders and they had discussed a bunch of options and if, if uh, they couldn't trade with the Lions, they would have, the Cardinals definitely would have tried to trade with the Raiders to move up to get Paris Johnson. 
And that is exactly what there was. The counter offers that that Arizona and the Raiders were discussing. But unfortunately, once Arizona got to number six, they didn't need the Raiders anymore. And so then the Raiders, the Raiders didn't really talk seriously about trades then after that until late in the round when they were talking to, you know, 28, 29, 30, 31, and not rabidly about Michael Mayer. They were interested in the Notre Dame tight end. They ended up getting him, I think, at 34. But there were not, there was not really any sense of urgency. Oh, we got to have Michael Mayer. They wanted him, but if they missed out on him, I think they would have just thought, hey, that's the draft, and they would have gone to their next tight end, which was the guy from Iowa. And they were able to not trade into round one and still get the guy they wanted. There were multiple teams trying to trade back into round one, whether it was the Titans, the Falcons, the Raiders, and they all eventually got the guys they wanted in round two. The Raiders, did the Raiders trade up a little bit to get Mayer? I know the Titans did to get Will yes. Levis and the Falcons did I think did they to traded up run. two or three. Yeah, they traded up two or three spots to get Mayer, I think with the third pick of the second round. But, you know, the Steelers started that round by taking, uh, by taking um, you know, the corner. Uh, Joey Porter Jr. Yeah, uh, Joey Porter. Joey Porter. Yeah. And then, obviously, Will Levis goes – and then the Raiders were able to trade up a couple of spots and get their guy, Michael Mayer. And, and look, I, I think there's a bunch of people who, uh, because I, I read about it the next day, you know, why did they trade up for Mayer, uh, all that stuff. Uh, <clears throat> and there are points of the draft, and I've seen this over the years, where you get fixated on a guy, and if you lose him, the whole organization is going to be a little bit deflated. And I think if they didn't get Michael Mayer, they would have been a little bit deflated. They, it, it wasn't the biggest thing that, that you know would have decided whether their draft was any good or not. But they just had it in their mind that this is an all-purpose tight end. But importantly, in the Josh McDaniels offense, who's not afraid to block and who's a good blocker. And obviously, after losing Darren Waller, they needed a guy. And the other thing, Mike, you know what's interesting that I've noticed now about drafts in general? There's no more of this best athlete available bunk that people used to use all the time. When I started covering the league a long time ago, it was always take the best athlete available, take the best player available. And I saw it early in my years. Parcells used to get frustrated sometimes with George Young going strictly by the board. And I think now when you look at it, like the the Raiders had Sanders, the linebacker from Arkansas. They had Jalen Hyatt, the wide receiver from Tennessee, both up on their board. But they realized we don't need those guys as much as we need the guy we consider the best all-around tight end in this draft. So you grade the players, which I think every team does, but you also make a point. I think Houston did it at two and three. I believe that Will Anderson was the highest-rated player on their board. and But they picked C.J. Stroud 
at number two and then came back and got Will Anderson. But I think that is one of the things, you know, sort of ding dong, the witch is dead. Nobody in the NFL anymore lives by the best athlete available, best player available uh, ethos on draft day. And I always believed even when teams would insist that's what they do, their assessment of the best available player is informed by their need. You can't separate the two. You're going to gravitate more toward the players that fill a need that you have. And now that the NFL is a a one-year-at-a-time standalone experience, there's urgency to get guys onto the field quickly. You're going to be looking for guys you can plug in. A lot of these coaches and GMs may not be there by the time the guy eventually ascends into the starting lineup if you go best available at a position where you really don't have the need. The Texans clearly had a need at quarterback. They've got needs pretty much everywhere. It's easy to list the positions at which they don't have need. You went to Houston after Las Vegas. C.J. Stroud, second overall pick. Peter, before we get into your conversation with him, because we haven't had a chance to talk in this context since it all happened, but it really felt like someone was trying to spark a slide, whether it was another team that coveted C.J. Stroud, and that's the ultimate Machiavellian approach to the draft, get the negative stuff out there so you can get the guy you want to slip into your clutches, or it was another agency trying to get its guy higher than Stroud and get Stroud to fall in lieu of Will Levis, for example, but at the end of the day, I give the Texans credit. They didn't wobble. They didn't waver. They didn't give in to any of Me that too. noise that was out there. They were willing to still put the name on the card, C.J. Stroud, and ignore whatever anyone might say. I can't believe they took C.J. Stroud after all this stuff came out about him just before the draft. Look, Mike, you know, today is uh, May 5th. Two months ago on March 5th, how many people – in the media and in America had ever even heard of the S2 test. I mean, no one. The first time I, 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 had, I, I had a vague sense of the S2 test that, you know, from a year or two ago, somebody mentioned it, but they, I just figured, you know, teams give 100 tests before the draft. So I never paid attention to it. Matt Barrows of The Athletic wrote a really interesting story about it. And look, the S2 test guys are pretty good promoters of their product, you know, because they've gotten a lot of it out in recent weeks. And and I believe what happened is that Daniel Jeremiah went on, I think, Path to the Draft on NFL Network and said that essentially Bryce Young had an otherworldly score on the S2 test. It came out later that I believe it came out that it was a 98. But these are private results. I think 14 teams in the NFL subscribe and get the S2 test from this company in Nashville that has invented it. And the S2 test basically talks about how a player processes information very quickly. And it's not just quarterbacks. It's They give the test to major league hitters and to minor league hitters uh, to see how quickly they can process information. So if you see a curveball coming and you're you're a batter in baseball, how long does it take you to change where you're going to swing, you know, to hit this curveball? And that's why a lot of guys don't succeed in baseball 
because it's impossible for them to hit anything other than a straight ball. So, uh, so I think in this particular case, once you found out, I'm really not sure that it was anybody attempting to trash C.J. Stroud. But once you find out that this guy's at the top, well, hey, where's the number two quarterback, C.J. Stroud? Where is he in this? And somehow it gets found out that he scores very low on low on this score. And it gets out, and Bob McGinn ended up writing about it also. And so uh, I think what ended up happening was not necessarily evil in the eyes of any one person. Ah, we are going to trash C.J. Stroud. But I think what ended up happening, Mike, is that people found this out about C.J. Stroud, and just like some of the question marks in a totally different way about Jalen Carter, people started to have questions about the intelligence and the, the ability to in very, very rapid order, make decisions on the football field. And that is why I believe that a lot of people started to get down on C.J. Stroud. And Mike, you know, you're right. I applaud Nick Casario. I applaud D'Amico Ryans. And I applaud the Houston Texans for saying, you know what? We watched C.J. Stroud play football. And when we watch him play football like against Georgia on New Year's Eve. You know what we saw? We saw a guy who processes information wonderfully. We saw a guy who was utterly fantastic against the best defense in college football. And so, and, and, you know, good for them for not succumbing to this. And look, say one more thing about the S2 test. So one of the ground floor teams about the S2 or the Indianapolis Colts. They were either the third or fourth team to totally buy into it. So for the last few years, they've been getting all the scores. They saw the scores this year. And I asked Chris Ballard, what do you think about how important this should be? And he goes, it's one element of it. He goes, there's simply not enough data to tell you with certainty how anybody is going to play. Now, the data says to us that, wow, Bryce Young and, you know, and I guess Anthony Richardson had a high score too. But that says, hey, look, this is, you know, these guys are, are really good. But just because C.J. Stroud didn't score well, uh, I, Ballard was utterly sympathetic towards C.J. Stroud and thought it was absurd what had happened to him in the pre-draft process, as did Stroud in my conversation with him on Friday in Houston, but Mike, to his credit, I mean, CJ Stroud could have, could have trashed a lot of people and a lot of the pre-draft process, but just chose not to. He said, Hey, critics are going to critique and we'll see what happens. And I said, that's a, that's a good way to look at it. Yeah, I credit him for taking the high road. There was a lot of stuff he could have said. He said the right things. And as it relates to processing information, you can make up for that to the extent that there really is an issue there by having a lightning-fast release, which he has. When Sims did his quarterback rankings and we started playing the film and you start to look for similarities and differences among the quarterbacks, one of the first things I noticed is he gets rid of the ball 
very, very quickly. It's compact. It's lightning fast. The ball is out, and that helps make up for any deficiencies that may or may not be there when it comes to processing. We're getting a little bit heavy, but I want to hear your story on the trade-up from 12 to 3 that gave the Texans back-to-back C.J. Stroud and Will Anderson. Well, you know, I've seen it uh, in several places where people have said this trade was actually for uh, – this trade was actually for C.J. Stroud because they knew all along they were going to take Will Anderson, okay? And, and, and I, the reason why I don't buy it, the reason why I don't think – that it's fair to say that, well, Willie Anderson was the second pick, and in essence, C.J. Stroud was the third pick. Here's why I don't buy this. When I was in Houston last Friday, Nick Casario told me that when Arizona was on the the clock at three, he had had some discussions with with Monty Asenfort, the Arizona general manager, and Austin Fort knew that they might be very interested in that pick. And look, as I said in my mock draft, or as I wrote my mock draft, I gave Tennessee C.J. Stroud by moving up to three because I knew Tennessee was interested in that pick, okay? But I think what happened and what became obvious to me is that this thing was maybe pretty close to being over the goal line, but it wasn't over the goal line because Casario said... When we got on the phone, when I got on the phone with Austin Fort, there was still work to do on the trade. So maybe they were 90% there. Maybe they were 70% there. Maybe they had to add a sweetener. I don't know. I also talked to Austin Fort. He wouldn't say. Uh, Casario wouldn't say. They both work for Belichick, and they're both CIA agents. And, you know, good for them. I mean, they, 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 owe, they don't owe me anything or the public. But I believe that something in that 10-minute period happened to push this thing over the goal line. And it was not done at the 10-minute period, 10-minute start, or at the start of the 10-minute period. And I only say all of that, Mike, just to say that, I'll tell you, I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on Will Anderson. Because, I look, I think Arizona is going to be the worst team in football this year. But be that as it may, <clears throat> now that Arizona has its own top pick next year and they're go- they have Houston's top pick next year let's just say for the sake of argument that the Texans have the fifth overall pick next year I don't know what'll happen let's say they go you know six and eleven I don't know but let's just say they go six and eleven they're gonna have the fifth pick in the draft let's just say so now Arizona's got the first and the fifth pick and Houston now has given up the ability to draft very high. They got Cleveland's pick, so who knows where Cleveland's going to pick next year. They're an absolute grab bag of a team, but that's the last one they have for Deshaun Watson. So, you know, they're they're going to have a first-round pick, but almost certainly it's not going to be as high as their first-round pick. So my whole feeling about this is they really put a lot of pressure on Will Anderson because that pick could be incredibly valuable next April.
Shades of Mario Williams, who they took first overall in 2006 in lieu of Reggie Bush. How do you justify that placement? What kind of stats do you generate? Do you need a sack a game? What do you do to make people say they did the right thing, giving up next year's first round pick that could be a very high pick for the Houston Texans that goes to the Arizona Cardinals instead. I've seen plenty of stories this week. Now it's extrapolating it based upon the Vegas over under win totals for the Texans and Cardinals, but they have the two lowest over unders, which would suggest they're going to be picking one and two, which means the Cardinals are picking one and two with one of those picks being the Will Anderson pick, but there's more to it. For a defensive lineman than just sacks, it's disruption, it's leadership, it's everything the Texans need on that side of the ball. They get their offensive leader in C.J. Stroud, defensive leader in Will Anderson Jr. as they try to make that team better. We need to take a break. When we return, Peter wants all of you out there to slow the roll on the hype surrounding a certain top 10 pick. I don't know which one it is. I'm going to stick around and find out. I hope you do, too. We'll be back with more PFC Live right after this. I wrecked my bike all the time. And I would do really dumb stuff like ride it barefoot. And I remember like picking gravel out of my foot one time. I mean, just stupid things. Picking gravel off of your foot, that that sounds like some real West Virginia stuff. Like, did you play some banjo music for that? I mean, why are you riding a bike barefoot? That's so gross. <laughs> That was a little fun yesterday with Miles Simmons. All right. Uh, enough of that. No further, no further comment on my, That's good. I my like injury it. history as I it like relates it. to riding, riding my foot barefoot, or riding my bike barefoot, or riding my foot barefoot as the case may be. The Colts hope to be riding high with Anthony Richardson at quarterback. Here's a little Quentin Nelson first-round pick from several years back on their new quarterback in India as they finally take a break from one veteran after another and go after a rookie. Here's here's Nelson. Really excited. Uh, heard great things about him and his character and the person he is. And then seeing his film, you see what he can do on the field is uh, pretty extraordinary. And I mean, he dominated the combine and did really, really well in college football this year. I love an offensive lineman who looks like he just rolled out of bed and showed up, uh, especially when he's really good like Quentin Nelson is. But Anthony Richardson, potentially great player. Uh, the Colts loved him. I think the Colts would have taken him at number one if they had the pick. We're playing a little game of which doesn't belong and why this morning, Peter. Of the three quarterbacks taken in the top four, Anthony Richardson, C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, which doesn't belong and why? Well, I would, <clears throat> I would just say Anthony Richardson doesn't belong, and here's why. I think he's the only guy who there's a question in my mind about whether he starts opening day. I think the other two quarterbacks definitely, well, almost certainly will start opening day. But Anthony Richardson, as Chris Ballard told me on Sunday night or Saturday night, whenever it was, as he told me, he said, listen, we got to get him in here and see where he is. He told me a story of Morocco Brown, one of his most trusted uh, scouts in the personnel department, <clears throat> went to scout Anthony Richardson in Gainesville during the football season. And when he came back, he told Ballard, he said, Chris, I watch, I'm watching practice and I am drooling over this guy. And I think 
the big question is, here's a guy, Anthony Richardson, who won six college games, started for one season, is incredibly exciting. In his last college football game, he completed 9 of 27 against Florida State. And look, you can pick out one game for anybody and all that. He's a tremendously talented person. But in my opinion, I think that the Indianapolis Colts have to be concerned with 15 years, not two years. And, you know, if they think he's ready to go on Labor Day weekend, he's the starter. And if he's not, and if he hasn't captured everything, or if they feel like he would benefit by watching for a while, then it's either going to be Minshew or Foles. And, and everybody said, oh, my God, you can't play him. You can't do this. You can't do that. You think the Jets might be questioning how fast they put Zach Wilson in the lineup? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. All I'm saying is I would say I would play Anthony Richardson if he were ready at the start of the year. And if he isn't, don't sweat it. Just play him when he's ready. There's two types of teams in the NFL, teams that have franchise quarterbacks and teams that don't. In my mind, there are five or six franchise quarterbacks right now. Anthony Richardson doesn't belong among Stroud and Young because I think he's the one who's got the highest potential to become one of those shortlist best-in-the-game quarterbacks. Will he? I don't know. There's a video on the Colts' website, and it's on my list of various things to eventually get to, where Chris Ballard says on the day of the draft or in the draft room, basically, I'd rather take my chance with a potential superstar and be wrong about him becoming a superstar than pass on a potential superstar and watch him become a superstar on another team. So Richardson has stood out to me for that he reason. He said exactly that to me, Mike. To see if he can... And, and, and it makes Mike, a ton read... of sense. It makes a ton of sense. Go ahead. He said, I would rather take the risk, the risk that he might fail, than pass on him and see him become a star somewhere else. And that is one of the reasons why the Colts did what they did. All power to him. And I give him credit for doing that because, you know what, from an owner's perspective, you can do that because if it doesn't work out, we'll be right back in that same spot drafting high again and can take a chance on another superstar. Ballard may not be there for the next time around. He's hitching his wagon yeah. to the roll of the dice that Richardson's going to become the guy. All right, Nick Bosa, the 49ers defensive end, recently told Yahoo that he doesn't think there'll be much of a change with Steve Wilkes in as defensive coordinator in place of new Texans coach D'Amico Ryan. So which doesn't belong and why? We're talking about the two NFC finalists, new coordinators, Wilkes in San Francisco, Eagles defensive coordinator Sean Desai, Eagles offensive coordinator Brian Johnson, which doesn't belong and why? I would, I would say Sean Desai because uh, in Philadelphia, there was a sense that, and you, you definitely felt it from the fans, and in the wake of Jonathan Gannon going to Arizona, there is a sense that the Eagles say, not good riddance, but it's okay, you can go, uh, for a lot of different reasons. But I do think that Sean Desai is going to have a chance to bond with his players and to become a powerful presence in that organization very quickly. Whereas, you know, Brian Johnson was already there. They love the guy. They have total full faith in him. 
And I think Steve Wilkes is the kind of guy, I agree with the guys on the 49ers who have said, we're not going to change much. Why would you change much with the 49ers? They're great defense with most of the same pieces still there. I agree with you on Desai. I'm going to say Wilkes just to have a little variety in the conversation. Wilkes is a guy who's been a head coach. He was the interim coach of the Panthers. The players wanted him back as the head coach. So the 49ers basically have two head coaches. They've got Kyle Shanahan, who can focus exclusively on the offense, as he usually has because he's had great defensive coordinators. But there's no drop-off here from D'Amico Ryans to Steve Wilkes. There was no drop-off from... Robert Sala to D'Amico Ryans, and it helps to have great players, too. When you have a Nick Bosa, it's a lot easier to be a smart defensive coordinator, but Wilkes comes in perfectly suited for the job, and the 49ers will be in good hands defensively. Jalen Carter, the first first-round pick this year to sign his contract, ninth overall after the Eagles traded up from 10 to 9 with the Bears to make it happen. Which doesn't belong and why from this group of three GMs who are getting a lot of praise in the aftermath of the draft, Howie Roseman of the Eagles, Omar Khan of the Steelers, and Joe Shane of the Giants, which doesn't belong and why. You know, Mike, I think all of them did a good job. Uh, so I'm not going to sit here and say, well, that, that was a dumb pick. Frank Reich said something to me the other day that I think is absolutely true. He said, listen, in the draft, it's important that sometimes you have to take chances. If everybody just sat there with the same board picking the same players in the same order. I mean, you know, who's, uh, how do you know that you're really ever, you know, going outside the margins a little bit? You're coloring outside the margins to really try to get a great player. And look, I applaud Howie Roseman for doing that several times over the years, and he did it here. Look, with Jalen Carter at number nine. Uh, the Seattle Seahawks at number five needed a big uh, space-eating, uh, you know, uh, divisive defensive tackle. They could have used Jalen Carter. They passed. The Detroit Lions could have used him. They passed. The Las Vegas Raiders at seven could have used him. They passed. So I'm not saying that Howie Roseman did a dumb thing in any way. I think when you are as good as the Eagles are, and you have this pick at number nine, and you have an opportunity to take the guy who might be the most talented player if he gets his he- keeps his head screwed on straight, then I'm not killing him for doing it. The only point that I would make is it's been very convenient in everything I've read to say, oh my God, what an incredible pick Jalen Carter was, and that was a fantastic pick by the Eagles. How do we know that? How do we know it was a fantastic pick? We've got to let nature take its course. We got to play two or three years minimum before we make any decision. I just uh, went over the 2020 draft class in my column on Monday, Mike, and you saw it. Eight of the 32 guys drafted in 2020 are big hits, basically. And the rest of the, the 24 are somewhere between okay starters, good starters, to absolute failures. And so that's the reason why I think it is just absolutely precipitous to say, in essence, oh, my God, Jalen Carter's going to be great. Have we forgotten what happened over the last two months? Why, if we focus so much on S2 with C.J. Stroud, 
why have we all of a sudden forgotten all of the things about Jalen Carter? And again, look, I hope he turns out to be a great player. But the only people who know if he's going to be a great player or not right now are the people holding tarot cards. Well, and the reality is, too, it's not just about the kid at this point. It's about the support system. It's about how they get the most out yeah. of him. You and I were both fascinated by the possibility the Steelers would land Jalen Carter some way, somehow, and they could have traded yeah. into that ninth spot if they had so desired, had been willing to pay the price. Mike Tomlin with Jalen Carter, maybe a different outcome than Sean Desai and Nick Sirianni with Jalen Carter. That's all to be determined. All right, let's go ahead and take a break. Something that is potentially going to be determined in the aftermath of the Jonathan Gannon tampering case. Could it be the spark? Could it be the beginning of changes for which Peter King has been lobbying to the NFL's... The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. It's a world record again! Go for the United States! Unbelievable! And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this! How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics. Friday, July 26th on NBC and Peacock. Arizona Cardinals fans out there, to the extent there are any, and I'm learning there are some, they get very mad. They think I have a vendetta for some reason against their team. Quit picking on our team. Look, if your team quits doing dumb stuff, I'll quit talking about the dumb stuff your team is doing. The latest, which the NFL tried to hide from everyone by dropping it five minutes before the start of the draft, the tampering case involving Jonathan Gannon, the phone call made by GM Monty Austinfort to Gannon to make it clear to Gannon he was on the radar screen at a time when he should have been fully focused on preparing for the Super Bowl. As far as Gannon knew, he wasn't leaving. He could go all in. He could be undistracted by the possibility, the reality of interviewing for a head coaching job the day after the Super Bowl. And surely he spent time, he spent effort, he devoted thought that week to the interview to come because it was good enough to get him the job. Peter, I thought of you the other day when Chris Sims and I were talking about it and Sims made the great point that this goes back to something You've been talking about, you've gotten me on board, others around the league believe it. There should be no hiring process for any team in any shape or form until after the Super Bowl has ended. Delay it all until then to avoid these situations 
where there is a very real distraction. That's the bottom line here. That's why the Eagles are upset. That's why this all happened. And I think one of the reasons why it's been kept quiet, if the league allowed all the facts to come out, I think a lot of people would be screaming in unison the same point you've been making for years now. Why are we doing this at a time when the process itself undermines the integrity of the preparation in which that coach is engaging for the games that his team still must play? Mike, I think everything you needed to know about how insane the NFL's hiring process is for head coaches after a season is this. Do you remember after Dallas wins the wild card game uh, on Monday night over Tampa and then they have to get prepared to go play the 49ers? And that week, Dan Quinn, the defensive coordinator of the 49ers, or of the Dallas Cowboys, excuse me. And, and I'm going to say this with, and because I have great admiration for Dan Quinn. This is not his fault. But Dan Quinn in that week had the option if he chose. I think some he took. You'd probably have a better memory of this. But I think he interviewed for two jobs during that week, right? Refresh my memory on that, Mike. Um, But Dan Quinn basically had a short week to prepare for a quarterback that he had never faced before. Uh, and, you know, so you could say whatever you want about Brock Purdy. But essentially, Dan Quinn played a Monday night game in Tampa and landed back in Dallas probably at 4 o'clock in the morning on Tuesday. They're going to play a football game on Sunday halfway across the country the other way in San Francisco. Okay, so they're probably leaving either very early Saturday morning out of Dallas or Friday night. I don't know what their travel thing was. But my point is, that is the most important week of the year for the Dallas Cowboys. Most important, far and away. You know, it's the divisional route. It's getting the Cowboys to the... They're playing to get to the NFC Championship game for the first time since Jerry Jones was four years old. And and so what happens? Dan Quinn has the option to do all these interviews for jobs. And it's crazy. Who would take, and I don't care what anybody says, oh, well, he got the game plan in. He did everything he needed to do. He did this in his spare time. You know what? In his spare time, Dan Quinn should be napping. That's what he should be doing. He should be keeping fresh for the biggest game of the year. Or he should be doing extra work on Brock Purdy. I don't know. It is crazy that the NFL, in a short week game for the Dallas Cowboys, you know, basically that their system is set up so that coaches on that that team can interview for jobs. Who in the world thinks this is a good idea? Colts, Cardinals, and Broncos are the three teams with which Dan Quinn interviewed that short week between the Monday night game against the Buccaneers and the Sunday game against the 49ers. And look, and and folks, it's not a normal job interview. 
you go in there with a plan. You go in there with a binder. You go in there with a list of people you've spoken to that you believe you'll be able to hire to be on your staff. Well, how do you get yeah. to the point where you're confident that those folks will say, yes, you spend extra time on top of preparing for the interview on the phone with these individuals that you are going to be bringing to your next job if you get a head coaching job. So it is a huge distraction as it relates to your available time, as it relates to your available thought. I remember when I was practicing law, Peter, and if I was in trial the week before and the week of, it was all I ever thought about. Nothing else. In the shower, in the car, laying in bed, anywhere I was, if I wasn't actually working, when I was eating, I would sit there and stare off into space like David Putty, thinking about the case, not even looking at the newspaper. You're completely and totally focused and obsessed because this is it. This is the moment. This is what it's all leading up to. So whether it's three interviews on a short week or, and again, I, I firmly believe, Peter, that there's something about the Gannon case, how the Eagles became aware of it, how much time he spent it in that two-week window getting ready for his interview, how detailed his outline was, maybe created on his work computer that they found after he left. I don't know, but something this I I reject the position that this is something that the Cardinals self-reported out of some crisis of conscience because everybody tampers. I think the Eagles found something that got them ridiculously pissed off. The crap hit the fan, and the NFL made it go away quietly because if we knew the extent to which Jonathan Gannon was distracted in his preparation for Super Bowl 57, we would be outraged, Eagles fans particularly, that his eye was off the prize as he focused on getting ready for his interview with the Cardinals. That's the only way to explain why they hit it into the five-minute window before the draft. That's the ultimate place to tuck bad news. We're all focused on the draft. You're in Las Vegas in the draft room. I'm locked in, ready to go. It was five till eight when this announcement was made. It's ridiculous when you think about it. It was done for one reason, to get guys like you and me to not notice it and not talk about it. Well, here's the thing, NFL. When you do something like that, we're not dumb. You're just going to piss us off and make us think there's reason to chase it. There's something you're hiding, and we're going to find it. And hopefully when we do, Peter, it blows this whole thing up, and we get the thing you've been lobbying for for years. All of this gets pushed you know what? after the Super Bowl. I'll tell you what, to me, what is, what's really interesting about that is, so, Mike, in every draft room, there's this little speaker with this tinny voice that comes through, and it says things like, uh, the Raiders selection is in the Atlanta Falcons are on the clock. And then a few seconds later on a board over in the corner, there is, uh, you know, the pick is made. And so, uh, and all that is controlled at draft central in New York. So in this particular case, it did happen at about five minutes before the draft. And uh, th this tinny voice comes on and says, there's been a trade between the Arizona Cardinals and the Philadelphia Eagles. So I look up at the board and I see it and I say, this makes no sense at all. Why would the Eagles trade with the Arizona Cardinals right before the draft? And then two things happen. Uh, Dave Ziegler, the GM of the, of the Raiders, gets on his cell phone and he calls somebody. I don't think it was Howie Roseman. 
but he calls somebody in the Eagles and said, you guys just can't help yourself. You always got to be trading. You always, what's going on? <laughs> and, he li- and he listens and he goes, oh, and he hangs up. And then, like almost simultaneously, Adam Schefter tweets that this, is, this deal was the result of uh, the Cardinals and the Eagles over some tampering charges involving the hiring of Jonathan Gannon, the former Philadelphia defensive coordinator hired as the Cardinals head coach. So clearly it was all about the Cardinals talking to Gannon outside of the regular normal windows. I'll just say one other thing. So at the time, I didn't really think about it. And when I went home, when I went back to my hotel that night, what I, one of the things I love to do after every draft is I love to look at all the trades to say what happened. So the first trade in the trade order was that one. And I said, holy crap. The Arizona Cardinals traded down 28 spots. That is uh, on day two of the draft. That is a big penalty for this. And they they got a a late pick, like a a fourth or a fifth. I forget what it is. But I said, that is a tremendous penalty when you think about it. If you're trading down 28 spots on day two of the draft. So I guess I look at this, Mike, and I say, this is probably bigger than we thought. And uh, I hope it does come out what exactly happened. We're going to take a break, but... A lot of people around the league confused and some upset that the two teams settled this, that the league never made a statement about it, that the league never imposed punishment when it was a clear, blatant violation that the Cardinals admitted to. There's a lot more to this story that the Eagles know, the Cardinals know, the league knows, and none of them are going to voluntarily tell us for the reasons I think we've already articulated. It could blow up the whole hiring cycle if we all knew the truth. Let's take a break. Last year, German fans got to see Tom Brady and Peter King. The next two years, they'll get something even better, although they still may get Peter King too. We'll be back with that right after this. I love Germany. Germany singing Country Roads last year during that epic Buccaneers-Seahawks first game ever in Munich. And Peter King, there's going to be more big-time football in Germany and big-time names. Next year, 2023, and reportedly 2024, we knew the Chiefs were going this year. The German newspaper Bild reports that there will be a Chiefs game also in Germany in 2024. Frankfurt in 23, Munich in 24. Reportedly, the Bears are the opponents this year, so maybe somebody will make the trip from Kankakee over to see the game. And the Panthers will be the opponent next year. And as you've said before, this is a huge deal. I would not be very happy if I were a Carolina Panthers fan and I heard that my only shot at seeing Patrick Mahomes in the first 15 years of his career, the only shot was going to be played in Germany and not in Charlotte. Well, the planes fly from Charlotte to Europe. If you really want to go to the game, you can go see the Panthers. You can see Bryce Young and you can see Patrick Mahomes in uh, Munich 
coming up in 2024. But it just shows you the commitment, Peter, what a big deal Germany is. And maybe they'll have a team one of these days. Hopefully you and I will both be around to cover it when it happens. Let's take a break. Coronation Weekend. It is? It is Coronation Weekend. So who's the king of the NFL offseason? That's our draft for this Friday edition of PFT Live. We'll do it right after this. Jared Goff's play in 2022 allowed the Detroit Lions, if they choose, to buttress a rising roster with four more, relatively speaking, cornerstone players. I don't know that buttress, I think it has to at least have, at least, uh, we need at least four syllables qualify for vocabulary morning and tomorrow but buttress okay buttress uh but i haven't used that in a while i mean I've capricious is buttress. kind of cheap but yeah i like capricious i don't even I, know I, if i slipped I've... in a little quixotic earlier just for you yeah 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 i saw that i don't know i haven't really had one today i'm sorry i'm gonna have to do better in the future my apologies there's still time there's still time they're <laughs> coronating a new king in England, if you haven't heard, today's draft, the kings of the NFL offseason. Peter, you're up. You know, Mike, I'm going to be simple on this. I think it's Patrick Mahomes. And I don't say that because on NBC on Saturday, you're going to see Patrick Mahomes do the writers up thing at the Kentucky Derby. What that means is that he is a universal king of sports. And, you know, he's up there right now with Steph Curry and LeBron, and, you know, he's bigger than anybody in baseball, obviously. But he, he's, he's up there with the biggest names in sports. He's done nothing this offseason to uh, eliminate that. And obviously, in the great performance in the Super Bowl, he just puts his name higher and higher. So give me Patrick Mahomes. And he was at the Met Gala on Monday night. Taking Tommy's spot as the NFL quarterback showing up at the Met Gala on the big red carpet thing and all that. I'll go Lamar Jackson. He just got all his money yesterday. $156 million over three years. Mahomes, $63 million over three years. Lamar Jackson, the king of the NFL bank vault as of right now with a real five-year $260 million contract. And as we've said, one fifty-six over the first three years. That's my first pick. Uh, Number two, I'll take Bryce Young. And the reason I'll take Bryce Young is that he has turned NFL convention on its head because you never in a million years thought that there would be a legitimately 5'10 small quarterback ever pick number one. I mean, Russell Wilson 11 years ago was picked behind a punter, number 75. And so I think Bryce Young has the opportunity in the next two, three, four, five years to say to the NFL, you can no longer discriminate against the Fluties of the world. Who was the punter taken before Russell Wilson? Do you remember? Brian Anger, pick number 70 overall. Wilson, pick 75. Well done. The Jaguars could have had Russell Wilson, but they, you know, they waited a year for Blake Bortles and it all worked out unless it didn't for the Jaguars. (laughs) Next one for me, the new King of New York, baby. Aaron Rodgers, he's already 
taking a big bite out of the Big Apple. Everybody loves him. Everything's great. It may be different once they start playing the games. But for the offseason, he is clearly the king. Clearly. Aaron Rodgers, one of the kings of the offseason. We have one more round to go. Maybe more. We'll see how much we can jam in when we wrap up this Friday edition of PFT Live right after this. Derby Day is unpredictable. But you know what? It's a heck of a lot of fun. You tuned in to watch the race, and you got me in a sequin bow tie. A lot of people don't realize I, I own a ranch where I breed horses that where it suits me to money. Guys, you're supposed to, this is where you get up and go, all right, there we go. They're not only really that well-trained. I apologize. Okay, that was not John Elway in that uh, video. Uh, tomorrow, 12 noon on NBC and Peacock, Kentucky Derby time. The Oaks today, by the way. Seven full hours of coverage on NBC and Peacock starting tomorrow. We wrap up our draft of the new Kings of the National Football League, at least for the offseason. Peter, you got one more pick, at least. We'll see how many we can get in. What player was the biggest jolt of lightning uh, bolt of lightning, I guess I should say, in last season leading to the Super Bowl and then this offseason. No. No, no. I will say it's Jalen Hurts. <laughs> and not only was he the huge hero of the Super Bowl and almost the Super Bowl MVP, but then for about five minutes, he had the biggest contract of all time. Jalen Hurts is number three on my list. He might be number one. Now, you know, this was going to be my first pick, but I figured I could sandbag it. Think about what the king does. The king does absolutely nothing. The king has no job. The king just is the king. So why not make it Tom Brady? Isn't that what he is now? He's just guy who does nothing that everyone pays attention to. Just give him the crown and let him walk around with the little half wave. I guess the king does that too. But that's what Tom Brady is. Am I wrong? I don't have enough time for Peter to rebut me because we're out of time. Bye bye. Have a great Bye-bye, weekend. Enjoy beings. the coronation and the Kentucky Derby. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.